Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Hello, everyone. that voted you in the office. They brought attention to how useless your predecessor, Jackie Lacey, was and made sure the voters didn't fall for bullshit again. The people voted for you so that you would do right by them instead of constantly siding with law enforcement. Not only have we been paying with our taxes, but for some with our very lives. I'm one of those that protested against Jackie Lacey and also voted for you. My time protesting was aimed at Los Angeles Sheriff's Department for the murders around Desperado, Sajan Kazee, and Fred Williams. You have made an effort to reach out to families of those killed by law enforcement. Now I am in jail on trumped up charges because this call is being recorded. Because LASD wants to silence protesters. Because LASD wants to silence the protesters against them. My incarceration should be your concern since it falls within the injustices you're supposed to be fighting against. So do the right thing. Drop the charges and free me in time for the holidays and my birthday. The people are awake and will do everything in the power to get you out of office if you continue down the same path Jackie Lacey did. Thank you. Iman Padilla is a protester that was arrested outside of Alex Villanueva's home in Los Angeles County on November 18th, 2020. At that time, he was told there was a warrant out for his arrest, and he was charged with attempted train derailment. This charge holds a maximum of life imprisonment. He was informed that it was related to his allegedly leaving a temporary barrier on the train track. But this temporary barrier is one that the LASD brings out with regularity and uses at protests to keep protesters at bay. They have come to call it the slinky because it sort of resembles a large slinky. Iman Padilla's wife was also detained the following week on charges related to her car registration. And while she was in custody, they actually ransacked the couple's home. So in studio with me today, I have Sean Carr Mitchell, who is otherwise known as a cat with news, who has been covering this story from day one. He has been on the ground at the Free Iman protests. Um, He was present when Iman was released from the Twin Twin Towers jail after Gascon had... um, drop the charges and we also have with us Iman Padilla and his wife so we're going to talk about those experiences with the LASD some of what went down and um, what can we do to reform the LA Sheriff's Department welcome could you take me through uh, where you were when you were arrested and why you were there uh, okay yeah sure so I was at um around the general vicinity of where um, Sheriff Alex Villanueva's home is, apparently. Uh, We didn't get too close to it because we were stopped, uh, I would say halfway, we looked halfway up the road to where we understood he lived. Um, And we were there to bring more attention to what had been going on in general with his different deputies that had been, uh, you know, committing different, committing murders over the past couple of months and getting away with it with no oversight. Uh, well, after a bit, we were pushed back after we got as far as we could. 
we walked along the road and on the way back, they uh, kettled us for a bit. So we stood there and marched for a bit, uh, holding up signs for Andres Guardado and the John Kizzi and Fred Williams that were the recent uh, murders by LASD. And after a while, uh, they said that we can go because originally they weren't letting us go. Uh, me and another friend left in uh, my vehicle and we uh, managed to get out first because everyone was taking a bit longer. And they flag, I could see one of the other officers that pointed at my car and one of the officers further up stopped me, asked me to turn off the engine, get out and uh, put me in handcuffs and started searching me and led me to a different uh, vehicle. Got it. So you, so you, so you walked out of the car, you complied everywhere. Yeah. Okay. I did. Yeah. Got it. And um, could you, you mentioned kettling. You mentioned kettling. Um, could you go through what, what kettling is? Uh, so kettling is when the police, uh, form, uh, form a line around a different area where protesters are at, usually in a way to trap them in a certain spot. So at first they'll, um, deploy, uh, post up in a certain, uh, say side street, and then slowly make their way around, around the group of protesters. And eventually not let you leave because all of a sudden you can't get out of their way. And they said you're allowed to leave. And usually when you try to leave, they'll arrest you and such. Got it. So that's kind of what happened with you where you were, you were leaving your car or you were leaving in your car, excuse me. Yes. Um, got in your car, started driving away. And that's when they pointed you out. Yep. They pointed me out. They asked me to pull over. Uh, we we're still on... We were still on the street where he uh, lived, uh, but not so far up. And that was it. They just asked me to get out of the car, took everything out of my pockets. Um, Iman, if you could take me through, sorry about that. If you could take me sure. through uh, what happened when you were asked to get out of your car. Uh, yeah, so I still had the car going and um, I asked them, oh, uh, is there some issue? And they said, just step out of the car. So turn off the engine, step out of the car. So I did that. I stepped out of the car. He immediately asked me to put my uh, arms uh, behind my back and held me for a bit, moved me to the back of the vehicle and um, placed me in the cuffs, uh, searched my pockets for a bit. I just took my phone and my wallet out and then led me to another car. This whole time I'd been asking them, uh, what are you detaining me? What are you detaining me for? Why am I being detained? Uh, they wouldn't answer me. They would say, uh, you know, we'll tell you later. Mm -hmm. And they put me in a different squad car and drove me to the uh, City of Industries Sheriff Station. Got it. So um, take me through um, what happened when you were in the Sheriff Station. So you're in the back of a police car. They drive you, I'm assuming, to the Sheriff Station. Take me through what happens when that car arrives at the Sheriff Station. Uh, so the, the deputy that I've been driving... At this point, I had already uh, put in information in the car, on his, on his uh, police computer car. Uh, you know, like my date of birth, uh, my current address, such and such. Uh, if I had any uh, medical issues also. So he took note of that. And then by that point, he had already counted some of my cash and looked at my wallet. You know, just general stuff. Got it. I'm going to stop you there. Yeah, sorry. Um, you mentioned that they asked you about medical conditions. Um, yeah. So... 
Did you state that you have any medical conditions at that I time? I okay. told him before I got out of the car because he had been driving and doing all that the whole time. Yeah. Got it. And you have diabetes? Yes, I have diabetes uh, type 2. So, yeah, I just take medication for it. I don't have to take any injected insulin. They're just pills, but uh, I do need them to, uh, you know, just keep me under control, keep me from not feeling too tired and such. Got it. So you explained you explained you have diabetes yeah. type 2. Um, at that point, you're in the station. Are you in the in a booking area? You're still in handcuffs, I'm assuming. Also in handcuffs, so I'm still in this. I explained this to him in the, sorry, in the vehicle. Okay. When he was driving me over. Got it. Yeah. So, yeah, when, once I got to the station, they had just already taken me out and uh, led me in, had me take off my shoes and sit in the jail cell. That's pretty much it. So you're in the jail cell there. Uh, at this point, have they told you why you're being detained yet? No. He, okay. he said uh, he's still waiting to hear what the charges are. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how long did you wait there? Honestly, I, I think it was two hours maybe. That's how long it felt to me. They didn't have a clock that I could see from where I was in the cell. So to me, it felt about two hours. And yeah, I mean... I'm pretty patient, so. <laughs> Got it. Um, so they're taking all your information. You're at the sheriff's station. What happens next? Uh, after the two hours, finally, the one of the deputies that's been there, uh, that has been inside the building now, brings me over the, uh, not, not the one that brought me over or the one that arrested me initially, uh, came over, opened the small uh, slide window, um, and told me my charges that I had a, the felony with intent to derail a train, and um, I'm not sure if they'll. If, I'm not sure which one it was exactly, but it was either one that has to do with the train. And he said the the, the bail would be one million dollars, and so I was like, oh okay, so this is really bad. So I just signed off because it's just signing off so I can continue on, right? Mm -hmm. And so after that, they finally um, uh, booked me and take my fingerprints and take my photos. And all that. And then I'll move over to the next jail. Okay. So at that point, you were transferred to Twin Towers Correctional Facility? Um, no, I think I was already in Men's Central Jail. I'm a little confused where I was at the beginning. Okay. Uh, I couldn't tell uh, from when I was in the back of the, of the cruiser very well which one I was going into. Um, who knows? Honestly. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to figure it no, out. No, no worries. Um, that's okay. All right, so so you arrive at a jail. Uh, yeah. What happens there? Uh, so they take me out. They uh, lead me into a bit of a holding cell because you have to get the paperwork done, whatever that means. I haven't been in jail before, so I don't understand what any of this meant. Uh, and eventually, they sit me down. Some other uh, detainees end up in there, and they're you know they're they're talking about being in there to each other. Oh, they got me again. They got me this to that and. One of the one of the deputies mentioned, "Oh, see, like that's the kind of stuff that it happens like that. Like this is why you're here." And I'm like, "Okay, well, <laughs> that's not the kind of person I am." So, mm -hmm. whatever. And so, eventually, they take me to another area, and uh, that's when they ask me to uh, start taking off my clothes because they're gonna give me um, uh, jail blues that were, uh, you know, the the standard clothing for whoever's in there at the beginning. And that's when they also started filming me. Uh, they started, someone would have, uh, it seemed it was a different cameras at wherever they were. It was like 
either a handheld one or like a small GoPro even. And yeah, they started filming me anytime I was being led around the jail after that. Okay. And there's usually two other deputies and a deputy holding me. As Got well. it. So you're in jail blues, you're being led around. Um, I'd like to skip forward just a little bit. Sure. So, um, I know, so at this point, how long have you been just sort of led around? And again, I know that there's not a whole lot of clocks, so it's difficult. Like led around to where I'm just going from place to place. From, uh, you mean in general, completely? It, right. Like, so after you're in, after you're in jail blues, I know at some point, um, they started, I guess, interrogating you. Oh yeah, that was uh, much later. Oh, that was much, much later. later okay, yeah. got it. Uh, yeah. So what happened in between you putting on Jail Blues and... Um... Uh, so they just led me into another room and left me there for a while. Yeah, the being led around was until the next day. Oh, okay. Really, All yeah. Right. So so you're you're chilling and you're chilling, you're, you're, you're waiting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, anything of note there? Um... No, just that some of the deputies are surprised that, that I'm being filmed. Okay. Um, and they themselves ask me why I'm being filmed <laughs> like this. Really? So the deputies asked you why you were being filmed as well? Yeah, and these okay. were the deputies that worked in the jail. They weren't the ones that I understand worked the normal B, the normal, the normal line of duty. Got I it. Suppose. So these were jail deputies. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, What, uh, at what point were you interrogated? Because I know that at some point there was an LA Times story that mentioned that you had confessed. Um, yeah. could you, could you take me through the circumstances of that? Moment? Yes. So that was still, um, well, this was past 1230, I believe at this point, but you know, I was taken in that Wednesday night. So it was like Thursday morning, mm -hmm. 1230 in the morning. Uh, finally, um, so, so there's a story that happens. Yeah. So around 1230, I think it was, uh, again, it was hard to tell with the clocks. Um, these two, um, LASD detectives from major crimes units show up and, oh, I remember why they said, why I knew the time because they, they came in and they said, oh, you know, they, they woke us up because it's so serious and that's why we had to come over here at this time. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they came in and they were asking me about the, um, you know, about the incident where I had been, why, where I was at today. Uh, and you know, just asking me, getting the information down and then eventually they spent, I'd say about an hour, an hour and a half, uh, talking about how offensive and uncivil the protests are, uh, to them. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> that was, um, it was, uh, an interesting talk to have with them. Um, cause anything I had to say, they, they had something to counter with. Um, and so by this time, yeah, it was like almost, you know, one o'clock. And so. I was, <laughs> I was feeling pretty tired. I hadn't really eaten anything uh, or taken the medicine I'm supposed to take. Um, so yeah, I was feeling pretty worn out. 
and uh, they eventually started asking about the incident more towards the end of the night, toward the toward what I felt was going to be the end of the the uh, conversation, and yeah, they asked me what had happened, and I explained to them what had happened, you know, um, and so then they asked what would have happened if something had actually happened, uh, you know, because I'm denying what they're accusing me of at this point, yeah. obviously. And they're, but they're asking me, well, what would have happened? I'm like, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe it just would have short circuited because it's electricity or something, or it would have broken apart. Like so many of us have seen a break from uh, a car hitting it or something. And, uh, and they said, oh, well, what about, you know, what, what about if it like caused a train to derail? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's what would have happened. But if it did derail, you know, I imagine it would have hurt people, but that's not a, I can't imagine that slinky doing that. And they were surprised that I would call it the slinky because they, even they didn't have a name for it um, themselves. And so that was about it after that. Uh, you know, it felt like two hours had gone by and said, okay, well, you know, uh, if you have anything else to say, we'd really like to hear from you again. And they uh, left and that was it. That was it for that. Got it. So you, so at no point did you say like I intended to derail a train or no. And uh, I have to ask, did you intend to derail a train? <laughs> no, never. Okay. I didn't even, uh, I didn't even intend to place anything on the tracks. So I was just something. Uh, that <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. That's something that they're we'll, saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So you, at no point, were you attempting to derail? No. A, a, okay. I can't a imagine a passenger train or a cargo train or whatever. I'm not. I would imagine those are mostly cargo trains, but I don't, no, I don't actually uh, know. No, uh, they're uh, they're metro trains, so okay. people would be on them. Got it. I wouldn't <laughs> want any people to get hurt from. Something so stupid. I mean, that's their job, right? They're the ones that hurt people, mm -hmm. not us. So at this point, it's been since 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 you arrived at the protest. It's been, let's call it. I think the protest would have started what at three o'clock. On you, you mean the uh, the one at Villanueva's house? Yeah, uh, I think so. I think that's around the time that. Okay, so that's about ten hours. Roughly about the yeah. with, with the time that you would have been speaking to deputies. Yeah. Uh, how about about how often do you have to take your medication? Uh, well, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to take it um, twice a day, uh, once in the morning with breakfast and once at night or during dinner time. So. Got it. So, at this point, you're unmedicated. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And they're asking you questions. All right. So, <clears throat> after the interrogation, um, they book you. They put you in. Twin Towers. Um, <clears throat> I know that there's there's a oh, lot. No, no, it's. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm at. So okay, but I mean, I could have been in Twin Towers. <laughs> we'll just we'll skip ahead to so eventually yeah, yeah. you're you're put in Twin <laughs> so, Towers. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you talk a little bit first about uh, how long it took for you to get access to an attorney? Oh. Um... Yeah, I would say it, it would have, um, the next day that I was in jail once I was, the, well, the full day that I'd been there in jail and was already in the orange clothing, 
uh, I was able to not personally reach out to my lawyer, but have my uh, my loved ones reach out to the lawyer. So got it. So you specifically were not able to have access to an no. attorney. It was done through through your family through a I'm assuming a phone call. Yeah. Okay. Um, did they tell you why that was? Because that's a little irregular. Uh, no, because they weren't sure uh, at the time either why that had had why it had why it had occurred in that manner. Okay. Um, yeah, it wasn't how they always show people getting their lawyers right away. So yeah. All right. Um. So let's skip ahead a little bit. You're in Twin Towers at this point. You're being charged with attempted train derailment. Yep. You're aware of that. Um. You've spoken to your defense team a little bit. Um, could you talk a little bit about what it was like in where, where you were transferred to in Twin Towers, um, what unit, who you were with, that kind of thing? Yeah, so I ended up in the 3300 uh, block uh, floor, I suppose what they refer to it, um, in, in the high power, the high power section. So it's where they would keep people that that are there for more violent offenses and for uh, longer years. Um, it's full of people that are usually doing, you know, more than ten years or fewer years, but they're more. They've been a bit more violent in general, or and also people that are in there for life, uh, for murder and such things. Alright, so, um, so you're in the 3300 block, um, yeah. you're with people who are, are looking at pretty serious, uh, jail time, you're looking at, I'm assuming almost all of them, if not all of them are felony offenders. Yes, all of them are felony offenders, uh, yeah, so, yeah, next to me was a, a young man, uh, he was 21 years old, and he was already there serving life, and he had been there for, I think about a year now? Um, but he had been in jail before, uh, he was part of one of the big, uh, the bigger, um, Hispanic Latin American gangs. Uh, yeah, he was in there for allegedly, uh, I forget, <laughs> he was there already a certain time, but he never explicitly told me that he murdered the person, but that's what he was there for, um. And next to me was um, uh, an older, an older cholo, like a very, when you when you imagine a cholo, like that's what that that's what he looked like, uh, even with the big like brushy mustache. Uh, he was about 45, uh, 50 or so. I never asked for his exact, his exact age, but he was in there for um, child endangerment. Uh, you know, um, moving a body, um, things that, that sounded a lot worse than what his actual story was. Uh, and they both, they both had very, uh, interesting stories and, and, and lives and, um, things to say about what's happened to them. Uh, and a lot of it, yeah, I mean, no one's perfect, but a lot of it sounds very circumstantial and they were there at the wrong moment at you know wrong place wrong time uh so it was interesting 
Has um so so you're on the thirty three hundred block. Uh, did did being on the thirty three hundred block having sort of personal experience with um one of the more I guess you'd call it extreme ends of the prison system, uh, at least on a state and, and county level. Um, was that, did that change your feelings at all? Is, has your philosophy changed be, having sort of personal conversations with inmates? Yeah, uh, I definitely would say so. You know, um, the, the one thing that I really learned from being there was, uh, Myself growing up and growing around uh, gangs and also uh, I have friends that went into the system. I have friends that died because of gangs. Uh, I understand the kind of people that are in there. Um, but I also didn't imagine that those, that even that prison um, would have so many just normal people that were caught up in the wrong thing uh, at the wrong time. You know, maybe their lives weren't normal. But the situations they found themselves in were extreme. And so what that made me realize is these places aren't full of demented killer people. Uh, how the media always tries to make it seem. Um, there, there's a, a few, I would say, that, you know, had some issues mentally that was beyond normal societal help that could have changed that. But... Most of them, yeah, were, were just normal people that, that messed up. So it made me, it, it made me think of, um, you know, they need a bit more help prematurely before they're in there so that they don't end up there and end up in there again. Because they were repeat offenders, uh, almost everyone that was in there. And I, I did hear from a couple of them who were older that, you know, years ago, there wasn't any of this help that we've been, I guess, giving them a bit more nowadays once they're out. Um, one of the ones, one of the older men said, you know, like, I wish I had the help they're getting now. Like, maybe, maybe it would have been a bit better, but they are where they are at the moment. So you had a one million dollar bail. Yes. Um, for what was, no one was hurt. So obviously, uh, if you had done what you were accused of, it would still be a nonviolent offense because no one was hurt. Um, you are a protester. Um, I think any, everyone who was on the scene, um, certainly agreed that, uh, the charges were extreme for the, the thing that had happened, um, including, District, the new district attorney, Gascon, uh, who said that it was a charge that was essentially incorrectly charged in a Twitter post. Would you consider yourself a political prisoner? Do you think that that's what they were attempting to do to you? Um, I think in, I'm, I'm a political prisoner in the sense that because of how ridiculous everything, um, because of how ridiculous the charges were and the evidence they were trying to give, which there wasn't much of any, um, that is the only, that is the only, um, reason that I was in prison. Um, you know, a, a political prisoner sounds like you lock up someone that's saying something very ridiculous or seditious or, or, or wild against the government when all I've ever been saying is, you know, we want justice for these people. Um, you know, when we try to get it, your deputies run away. Like, you know, 
Miguel Vega fled the country. Like if, if they, if they love to use the logic that, you know, if you're not a bad person, you don't have to worry about anything. Well, then why did, why did he run? You're the first tangible result of district attorney Gascon, who was sworn in, uh, the day before you were released. Um, I was actually at this, this event, um, and Megan was as well. So I'm sure I'll ask her about this in a little bit more detail, but, um, DA Gascon was sworn in, made some comments on, uh, eliminating cash bail. Uh, he has talked about not prosecuting, uh, prostitution charges. He's talked about, uh, getting rid of enhancements out of the district attorney's office and, uh, more notably, uh, almost immediately after swearing in, he actually came to a crowd who was asking for your release. We are we're getting the file. I don't have the file yet. I don't have any details other than it was in the newspaper. We will review the file tomorrow, Thank you. and I will give you an answer because I don't have any details right now. As far as your access is uh, journey to your client, we're going to have some conversations because obviously you get to have access to your clients. Right. So while we don't control the sheriff or the LAPD, I want to have some particular specific cases. Give me a little bit of time to build up a staff. Spoke with the crowd, um, promised to look at your file, and then a day later you were released. Uh, I guess, what were your thoughts on District Attorney Gascon before he took office? What are your thoughts now? Uh, before he took office, I definitely saw him more as the only option to get rid of Jackie Lacey. Uh, it wasn't someone that I chose because, you know, like most of us, we we didn't want another cop because that's what he was, right? He was he was a cop beforehand. Um, but it seemed like anything was better than Jackie Lacey at that moment. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would just hope, hoping at the time that he would keep his word. And um, he came into office, you know, we're so used to them just switching over to whoever pays them once they're in office. And he didn't do that. He didn't buckle, um, you know, him, him releasing me and not just uh, asking him to drop the charges, but having to have one of his own, my understanding, one of his own people on his team go down to the company courthouse to, uh, to force them to drop the charges. I think means a lot, you know, if I feel like anyone else, if they had even gotten to the point where he said drop them and they said no, they would have just given in and he did it. You know, he really did step up and say, no, like this is, this is ridiculous because it is. So now, I mean, obviously, yeah, I do have a better opinion of him, but I just hope that he continues because, you know, I'm still alive, but all those people that have been killed haven't gotten justice, and they they deserve it. And Tia is still in still in jail, um, so yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping he gets to help out and and further whatever whatever that we need done for them to get what they need. What are your thoughts on uh, Los Angeles Sheriff's Department? Not only as a protester, but as someone who lives. Now you live in a community that is policed by the sheriff's department. Yes, I believe. Uh, what What are your thoughts on the sheriff's department? Well, um, you know, before all this, uh, I saw them as just any other um, police force. Uh, I never understood really what the difference was. Um, 
So, you know, I just always try to avoid them. Uh, I just thought whatever laws are pushing is just usual, some BS law that someone of color gets blamed for, usually black people specifically. So, you know, they're just another force. And then now that I've experienced them up close, uh, <laughs> in the behind the shield, uh, you know, it, it boggles my mind sometimes that almost all of them are usually around my same color or close. And they're the ones fighting against all of us. Like, you know, to me, the, the police force and, and uh, law enforcement usually in general isn't there to help any of us. There's no laws saying that they have to help us. All they do is protect property. And so to see that these people of color that could have been anyone that I grew up with are now part of that system, when that system doesn't care about you being, uh, doesn't care about you if you're brown, uh, even if you are a cop, eventually <laughs> the Eventually, you know, the money and, and the, the nationalism is going to is going to push you to the side. You are going to be the next Mexican. Like right now, they are. They're just seeing me as the brown person. You're going to be next whenever they don't need you for whatever reason. Uh, so it's it, it, it's very weird because in jail, they weren't like that. They were just normal guys doing a job. So it's hard for me to say. Like, are they just getting brainwashed by the whole system that the higher-ups are perpetuating? It, it's just, <laughs> it's complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> speaking of LASD, um, a lot of protests in the Los Angeles area, particularly the last few months, have been focused specifically on asking for the removal of Sheriff Villanueva. Uh what are your thoughts on the removal of Villanueva? Uh, would you would you be for that? And and why are people so <laughs> against Villanueva specifically? Um. Well. Yes, I would be for removing him because even whatever issues they've had that everyone has had with the sheriffs before the summer. You would think that seeing what happened to George Floyd would not only soften everyone, but at least make them try not to look, not to make themselves look bad. And they've constantly done that. They've constantly looked like the biggest jerk offs in the world, uh, you know, standing around intimidating people, having Thanksgiving for someone that's locked up. Um, and he's just sat by and, and let that happen. You know, uh, if he wanted to right the ship, he would say something to the lower, everyone below him, and they sh and if he's running the ship correctly, they should listen. Right. But he's constantly letting them get away with whatever they want to do. I mean, now they just want us to definitely believe that Andres Guardado had a gun and that he pointed it at them. So if that was all true, why did Miguel Vega leave? Uh, and, and this happened on his watch. You know, some, for something grave to happen 
in that manner, you know, they need a whole top-down uh, shakedown to fix that. To fix that, and even then, it, it's even more. They <laughs> they don't need to be so militarized. Why did everyone need to have be in riot gear when they were standing around during Thanksgiving? You know, while our our health workers are dressed in goddamn boxes and trash bags, like why don't they have all that gear? You know, it's ridiculous. Um, so even so, I, I'm <laughs> law enforcement in general now just seems like such a in, in a an obscene an obscene setup of injustice. Like, do something else, change, come up with some other group of people to help that are actually there to help the people. I mean, we're paying for them. Why aren't they helping us? Why aren't they sworn to protect us? Because they're actually not. I, wow. So I do want to add, <laughs> talk about cops for a second. Um, so Alex Villanueva, it's, it's interesting to me because he's a guy that ran on reform. He ran as, sure. a, believe it or not, a Bernie Sanders supporter, elective, the whole nine yards. Like he was going to come in. I actually had an hour and a half interview with him when he was running for office. And he wow, had me pretty scary. convinced that he was for reform. I think he's absolutely, no, not even close. Like, he needs to go. But let me ask you this. My worry is this. I think whoever comes after Alex Villanueva is worse. Do we go back to, you know, Bach, Paul Tanaka? These guys were hardcore white supremacists, right? Bach's in jail, right? Yeah. yeah. Paul, Paul Tanaka is in jail. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a whole <laughs> FBI blow-up where yeah. these guys were, were literally criminal. They were RICO criminal organization so so my thought is this i'm, I'm curious to what your thought is after your experience my thought is that at this point i don't think the sheriff's department can be reformed i think alex Villanueva was our last chance for that mm-hmm. and he's proven unworthy of the job i uh, you're i think you're you're completely spot on in your analysis that he lets them do whatever they want he doesn't put anybody in their place he doesn't punish them he doesn't fire them he doesn't demote them in fact, he rehired some guys back. Yeah. I was going to say, I would, I, w- I would argue that, if anything, he's in many ways sent messages to the contrary of reform. I mean, when you're hiring people who were fired specifically because yeah. they were part of a criminal enterprise. Right. So, so I, I, I think that I think they need to go. I think enough RIP, put a pitchfork in the sheriff's department. They don't yeah. need to exist. How do you feel about that? Um. It's complicated. I mean, <laughs> I, I I can think of many different things that could take the place of a of a sheriff's or a police department, but you know, it, it's it's so extreme in the thinking and the gears I need to go, the gears I need to turn to mm-hmm. for that to make sense. That mm-hmm. it seems dramatic. It, you know, okay, that's fair. But, it does. I think it does to a lot of people. I've put a lot of fun in this. I'm not saying get rid of law enforcement. I am. <laughs> so my friend over here is 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 way more than I am. I'm saying Walmart yes, Breeder is what I would right, like to right, say. Walmart Breeders. Right? I, I think that law enforcement should only be responding to things like rape, murder, serial killer investigations. They shouldn't be showing up for at protests at all. Yeah. They shouldn't be showing up for mental health issues at all. They shouldn't be. Call- I mean, there's there's things that they're tasked to respond to now that they they don't belong in these uh, environments. Yeah. I guess they shouldn't, you know, they, they shouldn't be trained the way they are if all they're ever going to do is show up after the fact that something's happened. Because they never show up right before something happens. No. They no, don't actually stop anything. They're criminalizing everything, you know? Yeah. And, but, but it's a good point. What you're making is that um, 
you know, instead of having the B cops that are just driving around looking for trouble, get rid of them because they don't even they don't even uh, stop anything from happening. Just send them out when something actually happens. But it's a prioritized thing, you know, but my issue is that since I've grown up where I've grown up, like just the whole idea of them should be gone. So my ideas are ridiculous. Like just make up a group that doesn't have the same name, like Power Rangers and, you know, the whatever VR Troopers. And it's just a bunch of people that are like, yeah, we live in the community, so we're going to take care of it because they're the ones that are providing us with our sustenance. It seems a little, um, uh, what's the word, opportunist. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're taking care of the area where you live, then you're not going to let that area go to shit. So, like, pay those people to take care of the people around them. Because usually the police aren't from where we are. That's right. The That's sheriff's part department most certainly isn't. So, yeah. you know, that is, and in fact, when I interviewed Alex, you know, four years ago, five years ago, I made that point to him. I said, you know, most of the sheriffs, they're from the outside. They don't live in the communities that yeah. they police, and it's a problem. And he said that he was going to fix that. Well, and he, <laughs> he claims that he has. That's the thing. And he I lives in La Habra Heights. I, yeah. I <laughs> Which may as well not be. Well, Hopper Heights may as well be like Irvine. Like it's feel like LA County. Hi, I'm Megan Adams. Eman's alive. That's perfect too. Um, so, uh, could you take me through what happened the day that Iman was arrested? The day he was arrested, I was at home uh, taking work meetings, uh, and I got a call halfway through one that he had been arrested for, by Terry from. Support, so she had called me to let me know that that had happened and she told me that it would be a few hours I said I was still in meetings uh, so she said it would be a few hours until I would even get to see him or what he would be processed or be out or anything so she said you can finish up your meetings uh, and then come join us at Jailsport uh, where he was so uh, after all my meetings were done I grabbed his medication because I was like maybe I'll be able to take this to him and got in my car and started driving to come see you and on the way uh not even maybe two blocks from our apartment i was pulled over by lasd and um so did they say why you were pulled over at first they said uh that my registration was expired uh and they basically forced me out of my car into the back of their car while they then searched my car uh, and then came to me showing me that I had case bullet casings in my car and, and repeatedly asked if I had a gun on me um, while they continued to rip apart my car. Um, eventually, they cuffed me saying that I had, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, what was it? Uh, saying that, like, um, Essentially, they were saying that my, my registration was expired and that I had, like, a, a faulty tag so that I... Uh, so they cuffed me and uh, impounded my car and took me down to Lenox Station where I waited the night, not being able to call anyone because the only phone number I know is yours. <laughs> yeah. I was actually... Um, yeah, I, 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 they were going to charge you. I don't know if they ever did charge you. Did you ever get a... I have, like, a court date thing uh, and, like, a ticket, so... Oh, it's yeah. a ticket? Okay, yeah, because yeah. at one point they were going to charge you with um, felony falsifying vehicle registration. Yeah, yes, yeah. Which is nuts. That's a story for you. Um, great. So uh, they took you to the station. Um, anything that happened 
to you at the station that was a no? Um, I mean, other than being very uncomfortable in my cuffs uh, and like kind of like straining and like squatting on the ground while they were, while they were processing me, um, I could hear them talking about how much soda there was in the back. Uh, that was that had been dropped off by some church apparently, but then I heard some other uh, deputy come out saying, "Holy shit, there's a lot of beer in there," uh, which I thought was interesting. So uh, yeah, <laughs> and they all kept going like back into this back room to get drinks. So it was quiet in there most of the night, but yeah. Got it. Definitely and um, <laughs> knowing the answer to this question, did anything of note happen? Maybe uh, I guess in your life while while you I was and in there, mom were yeah. both in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was exciting to find out. The following morning, after I was released, that our apartment had been raided was shocking. And then actually arriving to our apartment, the you know I I was released at eight a.m. I walked into our apartment at eight thirty, and it was just crazy, just absolutely insane, just actually, stuff everywhere. So somebody, while you, while, after they had arrested you falsely for this registration ridiculousness, they had gone, went and gotten search warrants for your apartment, yeah. came back. So it sounds to me like they were just trying to use you, As to get a, you out of the apartment yeah. so that they could do that. They didn't definitely. want to serve the warrant with you present. Yeah. Do you feel that that's the case? Oh, definitely. Because we live in Hawthorne, uh, the area that I should have been pulled over in should uh, only be... Hawthorne PD jurisdiction, and I was pulled over by LSD, um, and only LASD was called as backup to for for my arrest essentially. <laughs> so I can I can actually confirm that um, as soon as I got near your house, parked in that parking lot, um, like fifteen sheriffs like literally came out of nowhere, walked around my car, <laughs> and were like, "What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here?" Um, is so, that wait? Hang on. Is that yeah. when you sent me the video? Who's like a couple weeks? That ago. was your place. Yeah, that that, was your place. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah, I didn't where I almost got arrested. Yeah. yeah, he almost got arrested. So as I said, it should be Hawthorne PD. We live like a stone's throw away from mm -hmm. Hawthorne PD. Do you PD. know what the search warrants stated as far as what they what was the um, no. probable cause listed? No. I mean, they must have had a reason beyond what they had arrested Iman for to be no, able to go into the apartment. Only, uh, I, it only says that, um, on it, that, that, like, there's two things in here that might be linked to a felony. Um, could you Just describe, like could you describe what your apartment looked like when you walked in? Oh my gosh. Uh, so, <laughs> we are toy people, and we have toys everywhere, and... Everything was just, you know, we have like displays and everything kind of was just like on the ground everywhere. Like, uh, you know, uh, our bed completely flipped over, everything out of the closets, all my underwear picked over, and even like, I, I may, maybe you shouldn't say, but like even dirty photos found and like purposefully left somewhere on a counter for me to note, note that, yes, you saw them. Thank you. Um, my passport pur purposefully left, but he's very obviously taken. Um, definitely felt like a sign to like, get the hell out of here, bitch. Like, <laughs> um, and just, yeah, honestly, just everything everywhere. I'm still finding things that I have not been able to find, so. Got it. So you return home. So you already know Iman's arrested. So at this point, you still probably don't know what Iman is charged with. Yeah, I know nothing. Okay. I, I, I've known, um, 
that he was on a million dollar bail uh, when I was quite, when I was on it, on my way to him because at first I had been told he was at um, City of Industry and so that's why you know what I was but then not you know pretty much as I was leaving they were like actually he's being transferred to Dune Towers and it's a million dollar bail I was like uh, 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 just no words <laughs> I couldn't even comprehend what that meant. I didn't. I don't know enough about anything to to really understand what it means. Yeah, that's all I knew. Was like that's more money than I could ever comprehend to get. Yeah, the words he's being transferred with jail yes. support are always not good. Yes, <laughs> that's always really. It bad. seems I've terrifying. Never, well, I've never had because if he if, if the word they're being transferred ever comes up, that means that there's charges that yeah can't be handled in a day. Right. It's always a bad, bad, always a bad thing. Um, How are we supposed to know? None of us have ever been arrested. Yeah, they're looking for something to hold you on. Um, so, so you get back, you find out Iman's being charged with attempted train derailment. Um, when did you find out the sentence maximum? So the Friday, when they fought, when the when. They'd supposedly finally charged you and given what the the charges were, which was that 218 and 218.1. Um, so when I'd finally learned those numbers, I was able to look it up and understand what that meant. And I spent the whole day crying. That's great. Yeah. Um, that must have been insane. Um, so uh, obviously you're not able to see him in person. Um, could you talk about ways that you could communicate? I know that there were a lot of phone calls. Yes, I was lucky that you had a, a phone in your cell and could call at any time. So I at least got to speak to you like three times a day, minimum, which was nice. And um, Iman, I forgot to ask you this question. Um, <laughs> could you talk about what it's like to address a crowd of protesters via phone in jail? It's a lot easier. That was great. I'll bet you. Uh, it was a lot easier than doing it in person, that's for sure. I didn't have to look anyone in the eye. I mean, I'm standing there over a toilet, you know, holding the phone and a piece of paper and, you know, orange clothing. So, you know, you guys didn't have to see that. I don't know what you guys were imagining when I was talking, but I'm sure it wasn't that. You have a very powerful voice. That's not what I was imagining at all. I was imagining you on a mountaintop. <laughs> awesome. Me too. <laughs> no, in my head, I was like picturing like old pictures of like 60s, like Black Panther prisoners where it's like, you know, you could see like that the sheriffs that are guarding them are purposefully black, you know, and all that. That's what I was picturing in my head. Like some Masada Shakur shit. That would have been cool. Right. Mm -hmm. No, it's something like so. Yeah, something more powerful. No, it's just leaning against the toilet, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, could you talk about? I think this is an important thing. Um, could you talk about? I, uh, Jorge with the NLG was the head of the defense team. Could you talk a little bit about how that was organized? have no idea how that was organized to be perfectly honest i have zero capabilities with anything and have a great amazing wealth of of friends and protest people that really know what's up and was able to organize that i mean i i mean honestly like yoni knew immediately and called me as soon as as he was able to do anything and then even did attempt to see the next day he, he called me after sort of every step 
And then it wasn't really long after until Jorge called me as well and said that he was going to help. Uh, but just purely because he already knew you. Uh, the advantage was that you've been so active <laughs> in this community that people really know you and recognize you. So people immediately jumped at the chance to want to help you. So I didn't really have to do much other than take calls and, and try to connect dots as best as I could. So um, you're not someone who has gone out to protest. Um, could you talk a little bit about um, what your feelings are regarding, I guess, what people are protesting, what it's like to have your husband out there? I, I agree with all of it. I think everybody needs to be out there. I'm, I'm not from here. You know, I'm Australian. Um, so I, I, I definitely feel at times like it isn't my fight. Um, but it is everyone's fight. It is, it is our duty to stand up for what is right. And as a person of color, I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm so incredibly proud of everything that you do and, and, and what everyone does every day to help this movement is, is unbelievable and astounding to me. It moves me to tears every time. I don't understand how people can't see videos of, of George Floyd dying or, or any other person um, and not be moved to tears and not want to do something. So I think it is, I think it is so admirable and I'm so proud of you always, even though this shit is crazy. <laughs> and obviously so targeted.